0: Welcome today, I am excited as we start the last series of the year. Crazy to think, right? The last series of the year today. Let me ask you a question. Could God make a rock so big that even he couldn't lift it? That's a hard one, isn't it? We'll come back to that one at the end of the service, okay? See if we can figure that one out. I don't know about you, but as I move through my relationship with God, what happens is I continue to try to understand more and more of God. When I first started my my faith, um, I knew very, very little. Very little about who God was, about what his character was, life. and, And over these last few years, I've tried to understand more and to grasp more about who God is. And perhaps you're in the same type of situation. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey at day one, or you're like, man, I'm, I'm way down the road. But all of us are, are moving towards this idea of trying to understand more of who God is, to understand his character, to understand what he's like. It's kind of like being in a relationship. That's the same thing that happens. You know, when I met my, my wife, there were just those, those conversations. You guys might remember them if you've been in a relationship, where you talk for hours and hours, just trying to understand more about the person to know about their backstory, to know about what makes them who they are, to understand their likes and their dislikes and, and what makes them tick. And that's kind of what we do in our, in our faith too is we look at God, we try to understand him more and understand more of what his character is because here's the deal, just like in your relationship with a, with a loved one or, or a parent or a child, the more we know about that person, the easier it is for us to connect with them. The, you, know, you ever notice that? Like someone who you know a lot about, you've experienced a lot with, it's easy to just walk in and you guys are on the same plane on things. You're walking in the same direction. You're thinking the same thoughts. That's really, really important. And that's what we do with God. As we continue to unpack and learn more about him and we learn about his character, it's not just so we have this, this bigger knowledge of God. Because there's a lot of people who do that. They just want to have a whole lot of knowledge about God and it makes them feel smart and puffed up. That's not the point. The point is as we learn more about God, what it does is it connects us to him more and we, we, we understand him more. We understand His character more as we walk through our life with Him. And that's what we're going to try to do through this. In this series, I want to talk about three qualities of God. And they're known as His omni-qualities. Now this is a big, big thing, okay? What omni basically means is unlimited. That's what the preface of every one of these words means, is unlimited, basically. And this is hard for us to grasp because we live in a 100% limited world. We don't experience anything that's unlimited. Even when they say it's unlimited, there's actually a limit, a limit. Go to a buffet and sit there all day and try to eat all day. They'll still kick you out. Unlimited buffet? Wrong. At the end of the day, you still have to go home. There's a limit. It's not unlimited buffet. There's nothing that we experience on the earth that's really unlimited. So when we talk about an unlimited characteristic of God, it can be hard for us to grasp. But, but, if we grasp some of these qualities, it will help us understand God in a great way as we walk through the rest of Scripture reading, as we walk through the rest of our life, understanding these things. So what I want to do is I want to invite you to journey with me, okay? Today we're going to take a look at one in the next couple weeks. And I want to encourage you to be here because my my thought is these three omni-qualities They represent so much of who God is that if you're willing to say, I'm willing to be here this week, maybe the next two weeks, come back. If you miss one week, it's okay. You can still get like an A minus as long as you listen to the podcast. But we're going to get an education. And we're going to learn a little bit about who God is and it's going to set us up for greater things. What if this could be a series where investing in this and understanding it could change your entire perspective of God starting in 2015. And you walk into a new year of faith with a new perspective and a new understanding of God where you can grasp things better. That could be the case. So I want to invite you to track with me for these next minutes and think, let me open up my eyes, let me open up my ears to this thing, let me, you know, clear out all the different clutter that's in my brain, let me focus in on this for the next few minutes. The first thing I want to talk to you about in this series is the quality of God which they call His omnipotence. The fact that God is omnipotent. And what that word means is basically unlimited potential, is kind of what the word means. What the definition would be is unlimited power, unlimited authority, unlimited influence. Merriam-Webster, actually, like, as part of the definition, they just put in parentheses, Almighty, which is one of the many names that are cast on God. Almighty. That is what this omnipotence means. And the Bible and Jesus speak of this in the word. They talk about God, and people reference this about God throughout their relationship with him. Jeremiah says this. He was one of the prophets. And one time, speaking towards God, he says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm, and nothing is too hard for you. He says, man, I look around, man, there must be nothing that's too difficult for you to do. Everything is graspable, everything attainable. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 26, one time speaking, he says, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but with God, everything is possible. And the Bible points towards this as people have these conversations with God over and over again. They say, what we see in God is that there's nothing too hard, Everything is possible. There's no limit to his power, to his authority, to his ability here on this earth that we've experienced. Everything is possible. Here's what I want to get in these next few minutes. Here's the, the, the takeaway truth I want you to walk home with today. We serve an awesome God. Now it seems really simple. You're like, Cameron, okay, that doesn't blow my mind. And I like to blow your mind when I give you those points. We serve an awesome God. But here's here's one of the problems. We misuse that word awesome far too much. And everything is awesome. I am extremely guilty of that. It's one of my go-to words. Man, that's awesome. Awesome. Man, you did an awesome job on that. That was awesome. Man, that show was awesome. I misuse that word on a regular basis because if you look at the definition, here's what the definition of awesome is something which causes the feelings of fear and wonder. The definition of awesome is something that's so astounding that it leaves us in a a state of wonder, which means to continue to wonder, where we feel like I just didn't grasp all of the amazingness that was before me. My brain is still trying to catch up with everything I've just experienced. And it says fear. Something so astounding that even though it might be so amazing, it's maybe so shocking, so out of the norm, or so great that it almost makes us feel sick to our stomach thinking, I can't believe that something is that powerful. I can't believe that something like that even exists. That's the definition of awesome. Perhaps my taco from Taco Bell was not awesome. (laughs) Although it sometimes can leave me with a feeling of fear. (laughs) Different kind of fear. We serve an awesome God. One who, when experienced, leaves us in a state of both fear and wonder. Trying to ponder the greatness that stands before us. We see this. In the stories of the Bible. Throughout the Bible, these are experiences written down through people as they walk through their relationship with God. Experiencing God, they would pen things that happened and their stories over and over and over again that speak of his awesomeness. When the Israelites were out in the wilderness following uh, Moses, they left the, the slavery of Egypt and they were going into the promised land. The people began to complain and and they said, we're out in the middle of the desert and we're all going to die. None of us are going to be able to survive. We can't find enough food. And in Exodus 16, 11 through 12, it says this, the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have have meat to eat and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And that very evening, as the, the sun began to set, A sea of quails came across the desert and landed in their camp. And in the morning when they woke up, as the dew burned off, what was left behind were these little pieces of grain, and they would gather them together, and they would make bread. And it says the people were astounded. They literally called the bread that fell on the ground, they called it manna, which literally means, what is that? They were just like, what? All of a sudden in the morning, food just appears. And over 40 years, God provided chicken nuggets and biscuits (laughs) for thousands of people in the desert. They stayed in that desert for 40 years, and their meal ticket didn't cancel out until they crossed into the promised land. And it was a perpetual day-by-day cause of wonder that in the evening, once again, there's no food. We don't have anything to eat. And this sea of quail would come and land. And there's our dinner. And in the morning, you'd wake up, and you would have nothing to eat, and there would be bread. And it created this sense of wonder and dependency on the Lord. As they went on, though, people really didn't uh, like Moses, believe it or not. He's like one of the best leaders in the Bible, and he had one of the most terrible ministries ever. There were these three guys, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and they began to incite mutiny against Moses. They said, we're out here in the desert. We had it better back when we were in Egypt. And they started to say, basically, we should take over. We should go back. And Moses said, you know what? If you're right, you're right. But if I'm right, then I'm right. And we need to have God settle this. So he called all of them out. And he told them, you come and you burn your offerings. I'll have the, the priests that I've set up burn their offerings. And God tells Moses, basically, I'm going to kill all of them. Everybody who's against you. And Moses says, wait a second, no, don't, don't do that, don't do that. We have a lot of people who maybe they're just, they're just distracted, they're caught up in this. He says, really, it's these three guys, it's this Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And he says, well, then their tents are going to be destroyed. So it says he runs to the tents, and people were gathered around, and he basically told everyone, you better step back, because God's about to do something. And here's what he says. This is in Numbers 16, 28 through 32, Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I have done. For I have not done them on my own. If these these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings, and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have shown contempt for the Lord. He says he had hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them along with their households and all their fel- followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. It goes on to say that the people who were standing around literally ran in fear and said, run, because God might do the same to us. Moses says this has never been done before. And the people ran and were struck by this awesome God. A sense of fear came over the camp that we are not serving some small, idol God, that we can manipulate and we can maneuver. That at a moment, those who are standing against God and feeling proud, God could immediately open up the earth and swallow them whole. Perhaps this God is more astounding than we had ever thought. As it gets into the, uh, the New Testament, we see this with Jesus. Man, as he walks on this earth, amazing things followed him. One time in Mark the book of Mark, where Mark is talking about these his experiences that he had with him. Jesus is at this house, and these guys carry this paralyzed man in, and they, they lay him before him, and Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Bible believers there were furious, and they said, how can this man say that he can forgive sins? And Jesus calls him out, and he says this in Mark 2, 9 through 12. Is it easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. That's awe, wonder. Our brains can't comprehend that this man that we've known our whole life, who's always been laying on a mat, just jumped up and carried his mat home. In Luke seven, Jesus is traveling. And he bumps into a funeral procession, and he sees a widow walking along beside this coffin. It says in Luke 7, 13 through 16, When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother, and great fear swept the crowd. And they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. An awesome God. Both wonder and even at times like this, actually, I like how they cover that. They said fear swept the crowd. Because all of a sudden it was something they had never seen before. And sometimes those things terrify us. There's a time when Jesus was on a boat with his disciples and the waves were crashing and the boat looked like it was going to come apart. And they wake up Jesus and he walks out and he says, Peace. And the wind dies and the waves disappear. And it says the disciples were terrified and said, who is this man that even wind and waves obey him? So amazing and so different than anything we've ever seen, it's almost scary for us to comprehend that someone would have this much authority, this much power. That's what awesome is. Wonder hard to understand, and almost a sense of fear of thinking, I can't believe that there's that much authority in that being. So much more than I do, so much more than I have capability of touching. We serve an awesome God. One who, when we meet him, when we read his stories, and when we see the stories that happen in our lives, When I hear the stories of people in this church and I see the things God does in them, it leaves us with a feeling of awesome, of wonder, thinking I can't even comprehend, and fear, thinking I can't imagine that a God could move such mountains. And his stories, they they tell of his awesomeness, but, but even more than his stories, because I think that they're powerful, but I believe there's something even more telling of his awesomeness is his creation. That as we look at his creation, we see a display of awesomeness unmatched. You alone are a miracle. The understanding of the human body as we learn more and more about it, as we delve deeper into it, does not reveal a lack of awe for what's there. It only makes it more and more and more. With every passing year an increased understanding of who we are, the awe just continues to grow over the details and the intricacies of who we are and how our bodies live. And we live on this miraculous place called Earth, this amazing ecosystem which sustains life, unlike anything we've found anywhere else, that in this planet, thousands and, and millions of species exist. That still to this day, we're finding new species that inhabit this place. Tons and tons, millions of different types of plant lives that exist and change with the ecosystem. That it is miraculous standing here on this earth. And Psalm 33, 9 says, For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. It says in God's word that if no one had ever heard the Word of God, they would still know that God exists just by simply opening their eyes to the world around them. That the world around them points to something that's so miraculous, so awesome that they would say, someone came here before us, someone did this before us. Countless people, smart, educated, wise people, still to this day in research, trying to find out the understanding of this world, come to the conclusion there must have been an intelligent creator. Shunned by their peers often, sometimes even removed from their places of science, they walk away because when they looked at the evidence, they were struck by an awesome God. On earth, you are one of seven billion people who live here. 24,906 miles in circumference and 8,000 miles wide, this planet continues to spin around the earth over and over and over again and sustain this ecosystem. But you or even our earth doesn't even begin to do justice of the awesomeness of our God. Psalm 33, 6 says, The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the words and the stars were born says that in a breath, all of the stars were born. Earth is part of a solar system. We rotate around our sun. We sit 93 million miles away from that sun. That is a huge number. 93 million miles, light traveling at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, takes eight minutes to get here. 93 million miles away from our sun, but that's not what's crazy because our solar system, what orbits around our sun, is 2.79 billion miles in length. Astronomically large. But here's what's going to mess you up. If this quarter represents our entire solar system, our whole solar system, our sun at the center, us, all of the planets that rotate around it, our solar system. If I was to take this quarter and flip it out into this room, do you think that our universe around us would maybe be the size of this room? The universe around our solar system would be maybe this size of this room? Or maybe our city? If that quarter accurately represented the size of our solar system, the universe around it would be the size of the entire United States. That is how small our entire solar system is in relation to our universe. Since God breathe." and a universe was born. Right now, scientists believe that there are hundreds of billions of stars in our universe and that there may be hundreds of billions of universes around us. And as we've expanded our knowledge and as we've looked farther and farther out into the heavens, we've found things that are awesome. Things that leave us in states of, of wonder. Just for reference, okay? At the center of our solar system is the sun, okay? Okay? The sun is very, very big. Very big. And just to give you a perspective, if this was the earth, a golf ball, about the size of the sun, or the size of the earth, excuse me, the size of the sun would be about 15 feet in diameter in comparison to this. That's about a circle drawn in the middle of this stage in comparison. That would be our earth, and this would be our sun. You can fit 960,000 earths inside of our sun. If the earth were a golf ball, that would be enough to fill an entire school bus. And here we sit, somewhere on planet earth. But as we open our eyes and as we search deeper and deeper into the universe around us, we bump into things that make the sun look like a small little dwarf. Betelgeuse, the star which is in the constellation Orion that you might have seen. It's one of his shoulders. It's a bluish color. This star has been found to be two times the diameter of Earth's orbit around the sun. It means that if Earth were a golf ball and we tried to find how many could fit in there, it would be enough golf balls to fill an entire football stadium 3,000 times. 3,000 times. That's how grand this is. And in the recent years, they bumped into this this other star. And they literally named it Canis Majoris, which literally means the big dog. Canis Majoris. they found this star, and they estimated that it is 7 quadrillion times the size of Earth. This is hard for us to imagine because most of us aren't that good at math. When we start talking about anything over about $1,000, it's like it's getting shifty here. Just for your reference, a a million seconds ago, 12 days ago. Okay? Billion seconds ago, about 1980. A trillion seconds ago, any guesses? around 30,000 B.C. See, those, those numbers fool us when they start to be added together, don't they? Because, see, a billion is a thousand millions and a trillion is a thousand billions. This is a thousand trillions. Seven quadrillion times the size of Earth. If the earth were a golf ball, that would be enough to cover the entire state of Illinois. 8.5 feet deep. Eight and a half feet deep of golf balls across the entire state of Illinois. That's how many earths would fit inside of this star. And here we sit in one little dimple of all of those can lead us to kind of have a little bit of a shrinking feeling, can't it? As we look at our solar system, our universe around us, these super giants that sit in the heavens. Literally things that, that when we try to understand them, they bring awe, wonder, and maybe even a little bit of fear that something so great can exist. And it says, God breathed, and the stars were born. We serve an awesome God. We get this this shrinking feeling because we realize that the grandeur of the universe was created at at His word. It says this in, in Psalm 33, 8. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. This is the correct reaction. As we begin to look at the things around us, as we look at his stories, and as we look at his creation, we cannot help but be found with a sense of awe, a sense of being lost in wonder, unable to fully comprehend what sits around us, and also a sense of almost fear, that there could be a being with such amazing power. We serve an awesome God, and that should change us when we get a picture. All of you have too small of a feeling of God. None of you have a big enough view of God. I guarantee it. That he is larger than you comprehend at this time. What does this mean for us? As we start to realize maybe how grand our God is, how omnipotent he is. First and foremost, we realize that our God is is awesome. And when we give him praise, we are not praising some weak little idol. We are praising a God with infinite power, certainly a being which deserves our love, that deserves our awe, our wonder, that as we sing these songs and we talk about his grandeur, The reality comes of of how amazing it is. And second of all, there comes a realization. I love how Isaiah says it, Isaiah 59.1. He says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It means that if you have a relationship with God, you can stand well confident. That if you have a connection with the Lord, that you can stand so confident because you are not praising and you are not honoring some man-made God. You are not honoring some small and weakling God. That the the God that you call yours, that you call the Lord's, that he calls you son or daughter, that he is man-maker, that he is earth-builder, that he is star-breather, that that is the God who we serve, that that is the God whom we entrust our soul to if we start a relationship with. One who is certainly powerful enough and strong enough and awesome enough to maintain confidently our soul in his hands. That if we trust our hearts to him, if we trust our life to him, there's no fear in regard to the fact that he can accomplish what he has said. We look at his stories and we look at the world around us and God promises things like, if you trust me, I will save your soul and I will bring you into eternity. And yeah, that sounds scary. How could we trust God? How could we do that? Because we trust a strong and mighty and awesome God. So, could God make a boulder so big that he couldn't lift it? It's a great question, isn't it? Some of us have been asked that question as reference when we talk about our Almighty God. People issue that thinking that they just, they got you. Man, I got you. Because they're saying that if he can make, if he can't make a boulder big enough that he can't lift it, then he can't do something and he's not omnipotent. And if he does make a boulder too big for him to lift, then he's no longer omnipotent because he can't lift it. Well, here's the deal. God cannot do everything. That's not what omnipotent means. 2 Timothy 2.13, talking about God, it says, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. There are cannots in God's vocabulary. He can't deny who he is, and he can't go against his nature. He both has all of the power, and he has power over his power. It's not raw power. It's not unfiltered. So there's four answers that I believe that you can give four answers that you can carry away today, and I'm going to let you decide which one you want, okay? So all of you get to decide as I go through these which answer you want to put in your vocabulary for when somebody brings that up, that you can say, listen, here's the deal, okay? The English route. Anybody like language? English? This is a good one for you guys, okay? You can say, your question makes no sense. The question is is not logic in nature for example ask them can you run fast enough to stand still because that's what you just asked you asked something that is an impossibility a circular impossibility in your comment and actually the english language would prove to be very very good in this nature because what you're saying is that you believe that if an omnipotent being is not capable of not being omnipotent that he's no longer omnipotent now that's deep but you can state to him that our omnipotent being can't create a rock too big for him to lift because our omnipotent being cannot be not omnipotent. Hence, he is omnipotent. If he can't be non-omnipotent, then guess what he is? He's omnipotent and retains all of the power. Second one we could go down is the science route. Considering that God created planets, that he created stars, that he created universes, you can state to him, I believe that your theory is incorrect. Because if we get to something created so large as planets and stars, which God created, explain to me how the term lift has any application to something of that grandeur, when gravity doesn't even exist in those planes. Perhaps if you can identify how you lift something in space, then you can be confident enough to ask God that question. Boom, right? (laughs) Slap down. If you can't answer that, how could you possibly ask God that question? Third, you could pick the super God route. This is one of my favorites. You could tell him yes, and they say, what? you say, God could create a rock so big that he couldn't lift it, and then he would lift it. And your brain would explode. (laughs) Because he is omnipotent and he would contort the very laws of can and cannot, and your brain would just explode out of your head or suck into some sort of black hole vacuum. Don't tempt God, because he'd do it, and the universe might fall apart. Third, or fourth, excuse me. You can take the, cu- the tough guy route. The tough guy route. And this is one where you can say, can God create a rock so big that he can't lift? You can say, I don't know. But I do know that he can create a rock big enough to sustain 7 billion people on it. And he can also create a rock big enough to crush your head. So why are you worried about if he can create a rock big enough that he can lift when he can create a rock big enough just to crush you? That's what you should be worried about, actually. That's the one that you should care about not the gigantic theoretical rock, excuse me, that he can't lift. Be worried about the one he might drop on you instead. We serve an awesome God. An awesome God. What I want you to get as you walk away from this, a feeling of his omnipotence, man, is that he is worthy of your praise and you can stand confident if you've trusted your faith in him. That he is awesome and he is worthy of every bit of us every bit of our prayers, every bit of our worship. Pray with me as we finish. God, we thank you so much for how grand and how amazing you are. We thank you for being such a good God. We thank you for man, being something so amazingly, amazingly powerful and in-depth that we really can't even comprehend it. That, that as we walk through this, we are left with a, feel of, a fear of, a uh, feeling, excuse me, of, of wonder where we, we can't quite catch up. And also almost a sense of fear of thinking, I can't believe that a, a being of that magnitude exists. But God, we thank you so much that despite you being the largest and strongest entity in the universe, that you want a relationship with us. We thank you for that. It doesn't really make sense, to be honest with it. It doesn't really make sense when we think about it. But your word proves true that that's the case. We thank you so much that that is the case. Pray, Jesus, that you would expand our minds to your grandeur day by day by day, that we would infinitely expand our our awe of you, God. And we just thank you for how great you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.